2: Hey, everyone, and welcome to BASIC. And if you have been listening to us uh, the last couple of weeks, you know this is the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. My name is Doug Herzog, and I'm a former TV executive, and somehow we made it through season one.
1: But just barely. And I'm Jen Cheney, a TV critic at Vulture in New York Magazine.
2: Now, we just finished uh, season one, as I mentioned. Uh, We're having a great time on this podcast. We hope you're enjoying listening as well. We're taking a short break here around Labor Day, but we'll be back with season two starting September 7th with a very special guest, Ben Stiller.
1: Yes, that one's going to be exciting. But if for some reason you missed any of season one, you can catch up with it wherever you get your podcasts. But in this mini episode, what we're doing is a quick look back at some of the highlights from that season. Yeah, we're only a season in, but we're already doing a clip show. But it's a good clip show. We've had some really great conversations with a lot of guests this season, including Tim Gunn, Fab Five Freddy, Cindy Crawford, Dennis Leary, and ESPN legend Dan Patrick, all of them talking about their days in basic cable.
2: And somehow we ended up talking to three different people who ended up in late night television.
1: Yeah, that was seems like it's something we planned, but it was actually sort of an accident. Uh, you know, late night talk has been around as a format for decades, but it really did make more of an impact in the basic cable landscape, uh, starting most notably with The Daily Show. And speaking of The Daily Show, we talked to Jimmy Kimmel, who was almost involved with that show and unwittingly changed the course of history simply by saying no. Check it out.
2: I had actually forgotten about this. And I was reminded about this uh, this past summer by uh, your manager and my friend, James Baby Doll Dixon. Yes, I want to say this was in the summer of 1998. Craig Kilborn had announced he was leaving The Daily Show and going to CBS, and we were looking for a new host. It would be some time before we actually approached Jon Stewart, but uh, I remember you and Ben came out to a cable convention in Chicago called CTAM, and we went to dinner, and I offered you the host of The Daily Show, which you turned me down at the table. Right. I did. Now, this was not the Jon Stewart Daily Show yet. This had been the Craig Kilborn Daily Show. But yet you were still just the guy from winn Money. I was making $550 a show at that time.
3: <laughs> I turned it down. I don't even remember why. You know what I think? Of course, the Daily Show wasn't what it became no. when John took over. It was the show on after us. <laughs> and I thought it was fine. But I just didn't want To move to New York, maybe? I don't know why I said no to it. It just seemed like it would be chaotic to have to uproot my family and move to New York to do this show that I didn't really have a feel for. I I guess now looking back, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. And Baby Doll was not in my life at that time. And had he been, maybe he would have suggested that I was crazy to say no to this. But I do remember quite quickly ruling that out and going, no, nah, no, I don't want to do that. And well, even though I like offered I
2: had- you $575 to host the <laughs> show.
3: <laughs> and I didn't have another plan. And I was flattered, but I just didn't want to do it. Well, it all seemed to work out. Yeah, no, you guys, I mean, you really lucked out. (laughs) (laughs) That show would never have been what it was if I was hosting. It would not even have occurred to me to talk about politics or anything going on in the world. I wouldn't have known where to start. But you do that now, Jimmy. I know, but that was a slow evolution. It was a situation where the news became the news. The news used to be much broader. We'd talk about a lot of things, and now the focus is largely i guess when you get right to the edge of a cliff you start looking down and you start talking about it because we didn't feel like we were close to the edge of a cliff
2: back then so jen it's amazing to think that there might be a parallel universe out there where jimmy kimmel hosts the daily show and john stewart might best be known for his version of the man show
1: it's hard for me to imagine john stewart doing the man show i'm gonna be honest um but, you know, this is a really interesting time for late night uh, and has been for the past you know couple decades. Uh, the Daily Show made such an impact in terms of being a show that is about, really about the news, but obviously a humorous take on it. Um, and it became something that was really kind of required viewing. And a lot of, of other hosts have kind of come from that show. Obviously, Samantha Bee, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert. Uh, Hassan Minhaj. I mean, there's a long list of people that have come out of The Daily Show that have helped to diversify what the landscape really looks like uh, in general with late night talk.
2: Yeah. And we spoke to Sam B, who, of course, came from The Daily Show. And here's what she had to say. So much has been written about The Daily Show and late night yeah. in general over the years mm-hmm. about its lack of visible and gender diversity. Sure, You certainly have done your part to change and evolve that. But do you think it's changing overall?
4: Sort of like <laughs> you know, <laughs>
2: not enough, maybe
4: not enough. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, I don't think that because I have a show and like Amber has a show and Zeeway has a show that we've done all the work that needs to be done. I think you know what's funny, and I mean, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, Doug, but like. <laughs> My husband and I were always pitching shows. We were always like, oh, we're going to pitch a scripted show here. We were always kind of like writing scripts or selling pilots and stuff. We were really busy, yep. you know, always kind of like paddling. Yep. Yeah. And so I I wanted to do, it's like a field piece show. I wanted to do something in the vein, but not exactly, not the daily show. And I do remember taking it out and people were like, why would we do another show of political comedy? Like we have one. <laughs> <laughs> so the feedback was, we have one already. Why would we need to ever do that again? And so the field is really people's imaginations have grown. But I think it's true that the more perspectives you have out there, this is a valuable thing.
2: Well, the genre has grown. The genre has grown. You know I mean, you guys at The Daily Show made <laughs> politics, you know, the center of a comedy show every night, which was right. not something anybody had really done before. And now there's a, clearly a few people doing it. But all with yeah. completely different point of views and come at it yes. a different way, and there's room for all of them. And the audience clearly for wants sure. all of them. and
4: more. And look at what we've done; we've solved all the world's problems, yeah. and that I think is our main accomplishment.
1: Good for us. In an unfortunate coincidence, you know, right after we talked to Sam B, uh, her show Full Frontal got canceled at TBS, which honestly was a kind of a surprise to me because. I thought that show was really good. She's one of the few women in that space that was doing a a late night show that's also obviously talking about politics. And uh, I think it's a real loss. I'm going to miss, you know, kind of having her in the mix.
2: Yeah, that's a voice that will be missed, uh, but in a uh, environment where a corporation like Warner Discovery or Discovery Warner, whatever it is, is looking for millions of dollars. I guess nothing is sacred, even um, a high-profile show and personality like Sam B. but we hope she'll be back. And speaking of leaving the landscape, we also talked to the Kid Merrow from Jesus and Merrow right around the time that they announced they would be splitting and and Showtime would be ending their show. And uh, here's what Kid Merrow had to say.
1: After... Your show announced that it was ending. Then a few days later, Samantha Bee's show got canceled. And as we were talking about before, you know, there, it's very rare to have women, people of color hosting these kinds of shows. Yeah. So do you see the late night talk show landscape changing at any point in the future? I mean,
5: I mean, I hope so. I feel people can look at what we did, what Sam did, and kind of just say, look at that and be like, listen, this is viable. If you let these people play to their strengths, don't water it down. Just go in there, let them do what they do, and then worry about the rest later. It'll work. You know, it worked mm-hmm. on Viceland. People couldn't even find Viceland. I had people calling me, being like, yo, what channel is this on? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm like with channel 161. If you're in the Bronx, you know, what gotcha. I mean? like I used to right. be like, oh, it's like 161, like Yankee Stadium. Remember that? Like I had that, like it was like a catchphrase that I just had to press a button on my head to tell people because people would stop me, like you know, at Bay Plaza, the mall in the Bronx, and all over the place, and be like, yo, I saw your sh- a clip of your show on YouTube. Where do I watch it? Driving people there was the proof is in the pudding right there. So if you have something that's buried in basic cable and It's still getting looks, still getting rave reviews from critics, still kind of shifting the paradigm of what late night is. And it used to be history, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that speaks a lot to the impact that you have as a creator. It speaks a lot to the fact that this is a viable product. You can get a Black man, a Black woman, an Asian man, an Asian woman, you name it, like gay man, anything. like Mm -hmm. People who are not, like you said, just another white guy to host and lead these conversations, it'll work. It'll be viable, and it'll bring you eyeballs, which is, at the end of the day, all of the execs in the average time want is eyeballs and numbers.
6: Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you.
0: Listen now, go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm really glad we got a chance to talk to to Kid Miro and, uh, you know, it seems like he's still actively interested in doing things on his own. Jesus is going to be doing some things on his own. In fact, he recently filled in for Jimmy Kimmel to bring it back to Jimmy Kimmel uh while Kimmel was out um he filled in and hosted his show so but I do think this is just a really somewhat tumultuous time for a lot of things in TV but le- late night included and you know we're going to be seeing some changes James Corden is stepping down pretty soon I think the mix of faces we're seeing in that arena is going to probably change a little bit
2: Yeah no question about it streaming really has upended the whole late night world and You know, now people watch shows whenever they want and don't have to wait till 11 o'clock necessarily to to watch their favorite late night host. So we'll see what happens there. We'll certainly be talking about it. Uh, Another thing we talked about uh, quite a bit on season one uh, was reality television and unscripted television. Uh, And uh, one of our favorite season one guests was the delightful Tim Gunn from the competition show Project Runway.
1: I'm fascinated by this idea that you were thrown in there to go and talk to the designers kind of as a 11th hour thing, because that is how every one of these reality shows that are in that kind of creative space has worked ever since. There are always people that go around and talk to the bakers or the crafters or whatever. And I don't know if I, I can't remember if anybody did it before you did, but that's my first recollection of seeing that on a show.
7: Well, I'm happy if that's if that, that if that's the case and if not, I'm just happy to be to be one of those individuals. I feel very lucky to have that role. But I have to say having taught for so many years Making the adjustment to a mentor was bigger than I thought it would be. In fact, that same first day, I was sitting in the sewing room threading a bobbin for one of the designers who was having difficulty doing it. And Jane Lipsitz knocks on the sewing room door and she says, "Uh, Tim, can you come out in the hallway, please? Sure what are you doing? She practically shouted. I said, I'm threading a bobbin. She said, if you thread the bobbin for that designer, you have to thread the bobbin for every designer for the duration of the show. And I said, I'm getting out. (laughs) I'm not about to, to do that. So I learned you really can't or shouldn't do things for them. And my goal and it, it really has enhanced what I've been able to do as a teacher because I was still teaching at Parsons during the, the, those first few, few years. My goal became leading the project runway designer and then leading the student to a place where they could make these decisions and come to these realizations and have that kind of aha moment so that I didn't have to deliver it.
2: So he was great, wasn't he Jen? I mean, he was he was really, I don't know, I know this is hard to say, but he was one of my favorite guests in season 1.
1: He was. Yeah, he was he's just delightful to talk to, absolutely.
2: Super super fun. Anyway, you know, reality TV and unscripted shows became a staple of cable television and then all of television, but it really took years for cable to find its way to increase their budgets and spend big money on premium scripted shows.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously HBO had that market pretty cornered for a long time and they still do great kind of prestige uh, shows there. They're they're known for that. But Basic Cable got into that arena in the early 2000s as well. And you had, you know, major award-winning dramas like Mad Men on AMC, uh, The Shield on FX and Breaking Bad also on AMC. And speaking of that, we were very happy to be joined by Brian Cranston who talked about Breaking Bad and also – His, what was then a surprise return to cable uh, as Walter White in Better Call Saul.
8: Everywhere I went, every single interview had that question included in the interview Are you going to be on Better Call Saul? And the truthful answer was, I don't know. I don't know. It depends until a year ago. In fact, a year ago, April is when we shot our segment on Better Call Saul. And we shot it out of sequence. It was the time that Aaron and I both happened to be available. So they flew us in privately into Albuquerque, went to a private area of the airport. As soon as we got off the plane, there was an SUV waiting for us at the steps. So the last step onto the tarmac was two steps and then into the car. (laughs) We were completely cloaked and we were driven it's very it's very breaking bad it's very breaking bad <laughs> and it's it was exciting because no yeah. one knew or could know that we were in town we were there for 4 days and we went to an airbnb where he had the upper floor i had the bottom floor and there we stayed we were not allowed to leave we wow. had food brought into us by by the production you know, and there were there was a coffee pot and things that we needed. Right, <laughs> and I was I brought my little stretchy so I can do some exercise. You know, but we're not allowed to leave. <laughs> and then the SUV would show up, and we'd get into the van and drive to the studio. There's a scene that Aaron is in without me, and there's a scene in where I'm in without him, and then there's a scene where we're both in. So there's three scenes to come. So uh, right. it's 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 pretty cool. But to be honest with you, it's like because we shot everything in a bubble and completely out of sequence, I don't even know what episodes we're in.
2: So the great Brian Cranston, and of course, uh, just coming off of his surprise appearance on Better Call Saul uh, just recently, which uh, I'm sure many of you saw. You know, I actually, as he mentioned in the, I think in the interview, Jen, I got to work with Brian's daughter who uh, started a short-lived show at MTV a few years back.
1: I feel like literally everybody was on MTV at some point, it seems like, because a lot of the guests that we've had have had some tie back. Um, and certainly if you're a fan of old school MTV, um, we had a lot of guests from that kind of realm, we had the original host of UMTV Raps, Fab Five Freddy, who's great, House of Style host, Cindy Crawford. We had comedian Dennis Leary, who used to do uh, a lot of stuff for MTV, and Kevin Powell from the very first cast of The Real World, as well as Reno 911's Tom Lennon and Carrie Kenny, who were in the very wonderful sketch comedy show, The State.
2: Which is really, again, to remind our listeners where you and I bonded early on, both big fans of The State. yes. And uh, and we also spoke with Beavis and Butthead creator Mike Judge, who's now back out there with a new Beavis movie and a reboot of the show. Um, And at the time when the show launched back in the 90s, he really hit the pop culture Gen X zeitgeist uh, right between the eyes um, with his great animated show on MTV.
1: What was it about that time period and what what was it about Beavis and Butthead that you think struck such a chord?
2: I think a lot of it might have been a reaction to what TV was in the 80s, maybe. The way sitcoms had become or like, I mean, the Cosby show was very much like just everybody's going to Ivy League schools. Everybody's just great and perfect and wonderful. And TV had gotten very much like that. Uh, and then uh, something like Married with Children, that was kind of the first to sort of cut against that a little bit. You know, you saw it in music, too. Like, I mean, when I first saw NWA, like like before that, had been MC Hammer, like flashy, shiny stuff and s- All of a sudden, there's guys just wearing just black shirts and a baseball cap. And just, I know that's my armchair theory is that some of it might have been a reaction to just, you know, the pendulum always seems to swing and it's kind of swinging back from whatever the 80s had been. If you are a fan of the classic MTV days, we have much more coming in season two, including real world co-creator John Murray, remote control and SNL's Colin Quinn, the voice of Daria, Tracy Grandstaff, original V.J. Alan Hunter, and a big Hollywood star who failed his V.J. audition.
1: That's right. Ben Stiller could have been a V.J. He messed up the audition, or at least they thought he did. Uh, He was hanging around at MTV in his early days, and he'll be with us for our season two premiere on September 7th. He's going to be talking about that. He'll also talk about Zoolander, Reality Bites, one of my faves, and one of the best TV shows of the year, which he directed, Apple TV's Severance.
2: And in the meantime, we'll be back next week to preview our season two guests, including folks like Ben, Chelsea Handler, UFC's Dana White, David Spade, Nick Kroll, and Always Sunny's Caitlin Olsen.
1: So listen wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to like, subscribe, share, or comment if you are so moved. We'd really appreciate it. See you next time on BASIC.
2: BASIC is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Cheney
1: and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli.
2: Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer.
1: Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson.
2: Edited by Zach Spisner.
1: You can find BASIC on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't Don't forget forget to follow the the show so so you you never never miss an episode.